Do you get gifts for anyone at work? New survey says the number of gifts being exchanged at work is on the way down. Yet another side effect of the number of people now working from home as we continue to adapt to the new world order. Also, on the subject of gifts and ordering gifts, have you ever been the victim of porch piracy? In the U.S., the number of affected people has gone way up. A letter has gone out to parents to avoid taking your kids to the ER if you can, because there's a huge influx of kids this week who didn't need the ER. But if not the ER, where can you take your kids? An actor, Andre Brower, has died, a tremendous dramatic actor who surprised us all with his comedic talent. So we asked you today, who's a performer who caught you by surprise? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, December 13th podcast for The Start. Gary and McNabb back together again after another couple of days off. Another Jeff Fortier long weekend is what I took. Is that what we're calling it now? I think it should, like, if you take uh, one or two days yeah. on either side of a weekend, I think that's what it'll be now. But Forte it, weekend. That should be like the paperwork. I like like it. when you apply, you know, when you have to get the boss's <laughs> approval. I'm looking for the Forte form. <laughs> Like, yeah, you know, the T, the, the TPS reports, it'll be the Forche report. Because, Jeff, you were off the last couple of days too, right? I sure was. And Friday. And Friday. Yeah, you won up to me there by taking the Friday as well. But you had a problem getting into work today, right? You, so we we're trying to figure out what's going on over on the Disraeli, but you had to, de- it's blocked off? It's totally blocked off. I was coming from Henderson, you go over Disraeli, and then right at Main Street, it's totally blocked. Uh, my cab driver actually had to drive over a curb to get... What's the street that's right beside uh, Disraeli there? We had to detour onto that street. Um, Sutherland? I'm not sure. I'm not super... No? Uh, Wrong uh, bridge? ...well-versed on that particular spot. But so it was blocked coming off the bridge? Blocked, uh, well, right at Maine. So, uh, Midwinter? Sure. Midwinter's on the other side of oh, the bridge. Okay, okay not, not Midwinter. Rover? So Henry, anyway. Henry, there's Henry Avenue. So you've got, you've got, um, you can go on to Logan, of course, off of Disraeli. If you're coming southbound on the Disraeli. That's where we had a detour from. You, you had to go, you can go from Disraeli and then on to Logan uh, is really the e- easiest way. And then Martha Street is the, uh, the intersection, the next intersection after Logan before you get to Main Street. So, yeah, we had to uh, turn onto Martha. So I'm just looking at uh, the map. Looking here. at the map now? Yeah. So we had to turn onto Martha Street to get onto Logan. Okay. And uh, when I looked down Main Street, they totally had the northbound lanes of Main Street blocked off at Disraeli. Okay. Yeah, there's a, like, we can't, we're trying to figure out what's going on, but from just from our perch up here on the 30th floor of 21 Portage, there are a lot of emergency vehicles, a lot of flashing lights at uh, the, the Disraeli at Main Street. So we'll see if we can figure out what is happening there. And uh, feel free to let us know as well at 204-780-6868 if you've been past there so far this morning. Also, one of the things we got to talk about today at 7.05, Loren, and it is the season, of course, for the giving of gifts and specifically as it pertains to co-workers. Yeah, I'm curious out there, 
780-6868. Do you buy gifts for your coworkers? Or do you maybe your office or your place of work? Maybe they do like a little swap. Secret Santa. Secret Santa, something to that effect. We're going to chat about what a survey showed after seven in terms of gift giving for people that you work with. Because one of the results was that people are inclined now to give less to co- co-workers or not at all because some aren't in the office. So you're not feeling that connection. You don't see them. I'm hardly around anymore. Uh, yeah. So now with the remote work, your relationship might have changed or at least the idea that, well, I'm not going to run into them. They're not going to see me. So do I really need to drop something off? And it had me thinking about all the other spaces and places we might give gifts, you know, like depending on where you're at in life, daycare, when the kids were little, right? You wanted to give something to your daycare worker or the staff there. Your teachers might be on the list. Maybe like coaches um, was super excited. My <laughs> The other day I just said to my husband, where'd that lunch kit come from? Like for our oldest, it's a brand new one. He's like, I just got a coach's gift. And uh, oh. it was a great little gift. Like there's things like that over the years that have come in and out of our home where we've thought to give. And so the list I think is longer than you think. You suddenly get to December 23rd and you're like, oh my gosh. You're driving to pick someone up or you might get your hair done. Maybe you give your stylist a little card or something. Oh, boy. Now you've got me thinking. Yeah. <laughs> it's not necessarily the gift. It might be the card. Just like a thank you or I'm thinking of you or a little candy cane note, you know? Or your milkman. Make sure you, you tip <laughs> your milkman heavy at Christmas. I used, used to get lots of nice stuff. Really? Back in the milkman days. Uh, ch- everything from chocolates to some sometimes some very generous cash gifts. Really? Yeah, it was it was very nice well, actually. It's it reminded me of the bonus structure um that y- exists in some corporate worlds and do people get bonuses because I was watching National Lamp like the <laughs> Christmas, Christmas vacation. vacation. Oh yeah. And I was trying to explain to my kids we watched it together Brett over the weekend and I'm trying to tell them why he was upset. But it was just not, is that a regular part of the world now? But this time of year, you might expect something. And then when you don't get it, like Clark Griswold, you drag your boss into your house and you give him a what for. <laughs> That's such a great scene. Uh, but yeah, so we'll do more on that at 7.05 as it pertains to gifts. And our question of the day uh, earlier this week had to do with that. Uh, do you How much of your holiday shopping is done? 38% said done. 27% over half. 24% haven't even started. 11% less than half. I would count myself in the uh, over half category of that. I brought my car to work today because I have to go. It occurred to me yesterday, I'm hanging out with my buddy Steve on Saturday, our annual December get together, and we always do a gift exchange. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I got to go get that get that done. Well, I figured with Steve, you would have had his gift bought back in April. No, I'm uh, very procrastinating. Uh, this year when it comes to the okay. the Christmas shopping. So right. I got to get on that. I've, but like I said, I'm, I'm over half done. So I'm not panicking. But this one in particular, I'm kind of panicked. I've been reaching out to people in California. There's one thing I'm trying to get for mm. one of the boys. And I can't find it in Canada. And it's, uh, oh, Brendan's fast asleep right now. Trying to find him a Golden State Warriors jersey. Oh, Steph yes. Curry jersey. Yes. And I found the one that he wants, but in the white color, he wants the blue one. But I think he might just get the white one. Well, here, so here's, I have a, there's a couple gifts. If you don't like it, suck it up, boy. Or like keep, like the thing is, you know, you want to, you, you want to try to, if they have one thing on their list, you know, my kids. Yep. If they have one thing on your list, you're trying to hit at least the one, you know, That's for right. that match. If you can, if it's in your wheelhouse, if, if you a, can yep. do it. Yep. 
And then when it's on your list and you can't find it, you're like, well, well now what? So I'm I'm not in a panic, but I have a few things I've ordered because I couldn't source them locally, locally that I'm watching the tracking app and there's no movement on the tracking app. <laughs> oh. It's like watching Santa and NORAD. Like it hasn't moved. Like it's not even in the warehouse. Like it hasn't even been Yeesh. processed. And then you think, well, that was the one thing. So do I roll the dice and hope that it's here by next Friday because Monday, Tuesday is the Christmas Day box? Or do you do I now have to have a backup plan to the plan and then if the thing comes what do I do with the backup gift like just take it back I just I'm tracking this thing right now I'm like you're not even this is like this is a non-tracking app it's like you're just sitting there <laughs> show with, me what it's not doing it's basically <laughs> yeah, like so I've ordered that's all that's happened it's been ordered Talking about Portage Place in a moment. In our next segment, we'll tell you how you can win tickets to see Sebastian Maniscalco at Canada Life Centre. And it has to. we'll have a chat about the death of Andre Brower. But before we do anything, Greg has wandered over to the area of Maine at Disraeli uh, to get a closer look. Greg, what are you seeing? I'm counting close to a dozen units of uh, various types here. Brent, uh, uh, fire trucks, a ladder truck, sort of. Uh, straddling uh, the building that would be on the southeast corner of Disraeli in Maine, the building in question. You can't see any flames, but you can sure see some smoke and you can certainly smell it. A uh, ladder truck working its way. There, it's a two-story brick building with sort of a metal annex on the top. And so firefighters now working to rip back some sheet metal to get at that part of the structure. Like I said, you can't really see any flames, but you can see some smoke coming out of the windows of the second floor and some smoke out of the roof. Uh, the, 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 the traffic congestion, not really an issue at this point, guys. Uh, southbound Disraeli, as you mentioned, everybody being redirected to sort of take Logan Avenue, and that's, that's working fine so far. And you can uh, get northbound on Maine, but only as far as Disraeli. So obviously, if you're making your way from the south part of the city and use Main Street to head north, you can only get as far as Disraeli. But that doesn't seem to be uh, causing uh, too many disruptions as we speak. Like I say, uh, lots of units on on scene here. And, uh, you know, I can see at least a a dozen and a half uh, firefighters on the scene right now. So... Greg, is there any, talked about being a commercial residence building? Like, are there people out of the building or have you seen anything like that? You know, quite often, Loren, as you know, when there's a situation when there's residence, you'll see a transit bus here uh, to, you know, to act as a portable shelter, a place of warmth for people that might be living in a building. But I don't see a bus where I'm standing. I'm on Martha and Disraeli on the south side of Disraeli. I'm going to try and wander around and see if there's anything I can see on Main Street. But at this point, I don't see anybody, you know, any civilians, quote unquote, hanging around. Anybody that looks like they might have been displaced uh, from any sort of residential part of this building, if one actually exists. All right, Greg, down at the scene near the Disraeli Bridge again, Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service reporting 
that they were fighting a commercial slash residential building fire in that block of Main Street. Crews are using aerial ladders to apply water to the fire. They expect to be on the scene throughout the morning, Brett, and so of course that's going to cause also, in addition to whatever concerns there might be for the building and or people inside, if there are, uh, we'll work to get that information. But in the meantime, right now it's the traffic we're talking about as well. Southbound traffic must divert onto Lily or Logan. Northbound slower, but you can move around. So we'll keep you up to date on that if anything changes. But right now we want to talk about the vision for two major downtown buildings, which has become a little bit clearer. Yeah, we've been talking about these two buildings for several years now. Of course, that's Portage Place and the Bay. Well, a new agreement between True North Real Estate Development and the Southern Chiefs Organization has been signed. We get more from Global's Catherine Dornian. Seven months after True North announced plans to redevelop Portage Place, the company is now taking on another major project in collaboration with the Southern Chiefs Organization. They signed a Memorandum of Understanding Tuesday to work collaboratively on both the struggling mall and the former Bay Building, which Grand Chief Jerry Daniels calls an act of economic reconciliation. We want to create a vibrant, vibrant, dynamic downtown that leads to economic growth and improves quality of life of our people and affects and attracts visitors from near and far. The plan is to create a major downtown hub encompassing housing, healthcare, community services, and green space. The Portage Place campus would connect via Skybridge to the Bay Building, gifted to SCO last year and set to become an affordable housing development. Jim Ludlow, president of True North's real estate development arm, says the company is looking primarily for a social return on their investment more than a financial one. Over the past seven months, we have developed a clearer understanding of our purpose at Portage Place. We now see it as a social redevelopment plan first, a real estate development second. A major component of Portage Place is a 17-story tower with 216 units, with about half designated as affordable housing. Plenty of financing details are yet to be determined, like whether the city will contribute any money. Kate Fenske of downtown Winnipeg Biz says she's hoping to see the government's contribute to offset the cost of building housing downtown. It's important for us that we make sure that any barriers to these projects are removed, so we want to be advocating for that, and that there's the overall support for these projects to happen. These are not easy projects to complete, we know that, so it's really critical that we make sure that the community are behind these as well. Ludlow says Portage Place will cost $650 million to develop, plus $200 million for the Bay. City Hall recently granted the company a six-month extension for due diligence on its purchase of Portage Place. True North hopes to start demolition work there by mid-2024 and finish the project by 2027. Catherine Dornian, Global News. That council meeting where they'll talk about that extension for True North is, of course, this week. Uh, I expect we'll hear more in the weeks ahead about plans there. What was kind of neat, Brett, they had a long list of people that were in the audience yesterday taking in that announcement and this collaboration between the Southern Chiefs and True North. Among them, David Thompson, one of the wealthiest men in Canada. Of course, he's uh, part of True North. Uh, There was the publisher for the Globe and Mail, like a long list of people who were either just interested in seeing uh, what's happening and also wondering what's next. And so as we always say, what's next... Would be nice to see some shovels in the ground on that after years of talking about it. We'll see if we see those uh, halfway through next year. It is Mackling McGarry McNabb. Mackling's going to sit this one out. He's over at the Disraeli situation. He checked in with us at 635. He's just going to get some pictures and video before he heads back to the studio. But we learned some sad news yesterday from Hollywood that actor Andre Brower has died at the age of 61 and... If you're like us, then you know him recently from this show. 
heard anything about the new captain? This new guy is going to be another washed-up pencil pusher. Meet Morpsy. Robot captain engaged. Is that what you think? Hey! New captain alert. Don't let me interrupt. I'd like you to finish. Meet Morp. That's a terrible robot voice. Yep. The next time I see you, I'd like you to be wearing a necktie. <laughs> captain Raymond Holt in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. What an excellent show. And uh, made... So much better by Andre Brower's just dry, deadpan performance. Turns out he is, like I knew him as a dramatic actor, but he's hilarious. Yeah, with the ATVs, the only thing you're selling is a huge pile of bunk. How did you get here so fast? You were walking. <laughs> I was power walking. Row heel balto, row heel balto. <laughs> Oh, I love him. But, uh, I mean, he's, he's, he's the body of work, uh, like he was an Emmy-winning actor for the TV show Homicide. So, yeah, he was a dramatic actor, and then he pops up in this comedy, and he's one of the best parts, if not the best part, of that show. So what we want to know from you this morning for a chance to win tickets to see Sebastian Maniscalco at Canada Life Centre is, who is a performer who surprised you? Like somebody was who was predominantly known either for comedy or drama and then surprised you when they did the opposite and did it really well. 204-780-6868. Cameron Portress. Well, it's kind of you. the mark of a really good actor is if they can do both of those, right? You can go into the dramatic and then you can do the comedic. My first uh, thought when I came into was um, Tom Cruise in Tropic Thunder is absolutely hilarious. Yeah, uh, but I, I had to go with this. This was an actor who started in the 1950s. He's Canadian for the first three decades of his career. Oh yeah, um, you know where I'm going here. Uh, he was a dramatic actor, The Beside Adventure, and then he did one movie in 1980, and it totally changed the rest of his uh, his uh, acting career. What was it we had for dinner tonight? Well, we had a choice: steak, fish. Yes, yes, I remember. I had lasagna. I don't know why that <laughs> line. I was thinking about that line like two, like, like yesterday. I don't know why it popped into my head. It was part Leslie Nielsen, of course, uh, born in Regina, great Canadian actor, one of the greats. Um, you know, was totally dramatic. And then 1980s airplane comes around, deadpan in the insane situation, and then. His career takes off. Scary Movie Three it sticks with you know Zucker Abrams and Zucker and and yeah, just amazing stuff. The funny thing about him that he's funny is that the fact that he was that dramatic actor. Like you always thought he was typecast as the comedic the comedic actor, but yeah. that's not how he started. It's the opposite totally way yeah. that it goes. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So uh, that's cool. Yeah. Well, and then that's the, comparing him to Brower. That's what makes him so funny is that dry, deadpan. Like to be able to translate your dramatic chops and do it in comedy. Like that's, I think, one of the keys of comedy, right? Is to, to like you're playing it seriously. Just to, it so happens that if the material is funny and you deliver it dramatically, it is great. Yeah. Loren, what about you? Okay, so this is perhaps not the assignment per se, like a drama actor who became funny or vice versa. It's actually the people who are funny that are even funnier than you expected. Like when I see Tina Fey do other things, particularly when she hosts the Golden Globes, mm-hmm. I'm like, man, I love you. Same with uh, um, Ryan Gosling, who is a dramatic actor, but he's funnier than expected. And then Ryan Reynolds, I know he's a comedic actor, but I'll watch any interview he does with anyone because he off the cuff or he plans these little bits. I don't really care what he does, but he's funny about his wife. He's funny about his kids. So this is, first of all, just him. Short question from Kelly Reed. Kelly- Talk show. How 
old are your girls now? I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of stuff. And then he's asked in another late night talk show. I think he does gin now, right? He's his own gin yes, in addition yeah. to this yeah. football team and all the rest. He's like, his fingers are in every pie. He's asked about how he got into gin. And then we had our children, and that's when I realized that I love gin. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's funny. So it's actually not even in the movies. I'll watch him in a show and think, oh, yeah, he's funny. Even terrible movies. What's that one that came out on Netflix with? Uh, the Rock. Anyway, terrible show. Rad something or other. Only he was funny in it. But I will watch all interviews with Ryan Reynolds. My kids think it's because I have a thing for Ryan's. Ryan Gosling, Ryan Reynolds, etc. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, he, Re- Reynolds is ter- tremendous. Red Notice, by the way, mm-hmm. is the terrible name of that movie. film. Yeah, it was not good. <laughs> but yeah. funny. Uh, Sarah, what about you? I think of Meryl Streep and her versatility. And I, I think of how she started with like Sophie's Choice. That was like her big break in my mind. And then she kind of went to co- comedy and she can sing, she can dance, the Mamma Mia. But um, this like rom-com, I found her particularly funny because again, she has that cold kind of tone to her. It's uh, The Devil Wears Prada. She's a horrible boss in this movie. Miranda Priestley is the editor-in-chief of Runway. So you don't read Runway. And before today, you'd never heard of me. You have no style or sense of fashion. I, I, no, no. That wasn't a question. She is <laughs> vicious. There is some reason that my coffee isn't here. Has she died or something? So, yes, that movie. That's one of my favorite rom-coms. You know, I love her. It's one of the mo- <laughs> movies I might get, I get embarrassed to say I haven't seen. Well, you it's should. So, it's got a big... Yeah, Anne Hathaway as well. Yes, I, don't, I haven't seen it either, Cam. Yeah. And it's not, I want to. Yeah, I, I remember when it came out. I wanted to. Yeah. Oh, you'll appreciate it. It's good. And what's funny about her in that movie is how not funny she is trying to be. Yes. Like that face. Like, I'm you, you keep using dry and deadpan. I'd love to know if she ever broke because her face is like steel <laughs> of poise and mm-hmm. pretentiousness through the yes. whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to know if she just kept that on. <laughs> and she gets made fun of a lot in ward shows. Like she gets brought into little bits. And things, and she doesn't mind being poked at, the joke, and, yeah. and the joke mm-hmm. of whatever. No, she doesn't. No, always laughs along with. Always it, laughs along, yeah. and there's several times where she's yeah. she's someone makes a joke, and it has to do with Meryl Streep, and someone's up there like, "Don't say Meryl's name. She's so, <laughs> she's so mean." And they cut to Meryl, she's laughing. And, yeah. <laughs> well, they're always making jokes about her because she's always nominated. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think she even jokes that she's the losingest. Uh, person because she, I think she's only won a couple of awards, yeah. Yeah. but she gets nominated oh. for pretty much everything she does. My but, first question, sorry, Brett, to her, if I were to ever interview, would be, what's your skincare regime? Honestly. Oh, oh boy. That is good skin. <laughs> she has amazing skin. Great skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, from, like, everywhere, I think. I don't know. I don't know that for sure, <laughs> but I feel like it's everywhere. Deal with the devil there. That's the skincare regime. Forte, what about you? Well, at first, I was going to pick Jim Carrey because every, like, when you think of Jim Carrey, you think of, like, over-the-top comedy, you know, his face, he, he has that face you can really laugh at. Uh, and then, you know, he did uh, the role in uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, mm-hmm. which oh, yeah. is a very serious role. And uh, But I, I couldn't really find a clip for that. So, you know, I'm going to switch it. And I'm going to go with Robert De Niro, because when you first think of him, you're thinking of Mob Boss, you know? Yeah. Like, like somebody who's hard. But like this character, he also plays very hard. But uh, I love him. It's, you know, when he plays... Uh, what his character's name is and meet the parents, but uh, I, I had no idea you could milk a cat. Yes, oh, yeah, you can milk anything with nipples. <laughs> I have nipples, Greg. Could you milk me? <laughs> <laughs> that one stupid line is just awesome. Great movie. 
It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Going to talk about gift giving in a moment. Greg's just back. He went and checked out that situation at the Disraeli. Uh, so he's just sort of sifting through some of the photos and videos that he took there. Um, but right before we do anything else, reminder that we've got tickets to give away for Sebastian Maniscalco, comedian coming to Canada Life Centre in October. We're asking you in lieu of or after the death of actor Andre Brower. Uh, we learned yesterday that he has died at the age of 61. Predominantly a dramatic actor, but shocked the world with his comedic talent in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So we're asking you about, about a performer who surprised you, whether it's a dramatic performer who turned out to be super funny or the reverse, or maybe they're more musical or whatever. And Loren, Jeff with a good one out of the gate. Jeff says, hands down, the actor Brian Cranston, Tim Watley to Walter White. I am the one who knocks. Yeah, and Jeff goes on to say, brilliant actor and appears to be an actual pretty funny guy. I just went down a rabbit hole of the Tim Watley clips. He was the dentist to the stars on Seinfeld. (laughs) And it was the whole episode where, and it's apropos for this segment, where he is given a label maker from Elaine and re-gifts it to Jerry. And then there's a whole episode of her just trying to prove that he re-gifted her gift. And it's it's all nonsense. But, you know, like, have you ever bought your dentist a gift? We're talking about gifts this morning. Keep the feedback coming on actors that surprised you, whether they went comedy to drama, drama to comedy, like Brian Cranston. But we're talking gifts this morning, Brett. That's right. We're talking gifts. And when it comes to buying gifts for coworkers, I mean, I I get you a gift. I get Greg a gift. I get Fortier a gift. But there is, I always wonder, like, where do where does one draw the line? And I, and I sort of feel like that could get a little tricky. Get tricky, get messy, maybe. It can get expensive. Uh, there's a whole list of people we talked earlier. You know, it could be your kids' coaches, your piano instructor, your hairstylist. Love to know who's on your list, 780-6868. But we want to talk coworkers. Robert Half is an HR firm. They ran a small survey through LinkedIn to ask people about their gift buying habits for coworkers. Have they changed over the years, particularly some because some office workers are now doing remote or hybrid work. Sandra Lavoie is with Robert Half and joins us now. Good morning, Sandra. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for taking the time. What did the survey show? Uh, it showed that approximately almost 50% have never given gifts. Um, so that hasn't changed very much. But about 21% have stopped giving gifts because of working remote or working hybrid and the relationship unfortunately has gone a bit to the way wayside uh, with everybody right so that's been a, a little bit of an issue because of people not going in the office on a regular basis what does that tell us about those relationships because in some ways i'd say okay it makes sense to me that 21 percent say i don't see them enough so i'm no longer giving them gifts but just because you don't see them, does it that changes maybe what the intent originally was? For sure. And one one of the challenges is that people and employers are asking people to come back into the office because the relationships have fallen short and they're not as close to their colleagues. And that's why their employers are saying, let's get back in the office. We need more collaboration and culture and uh, because we don't see each other enough. Is there any etiquette to consider when giving amongst coworkers? We we didn't do a survey on that, but you know, I've been with Robert Half for many years and it doesn't have to be anything large. It could be homemade cookies, it could be something just a little thoughtful 
say thank you and happy holidays. But it doesn't have to be a large $200 basket or anything crazy, right? Because I think it, it also makes people feel uncomfortable that can't afford to do that. Could be homemade cookies, Brett, or it could be store-bought cookies, and I'm fine with either. <laughs> Brett brought us in chocolate bars this morning, Sandra, so that was a little gift for us this morning. You know, you talked a bit about that culture. So in this survey, you found that fifty, almost 50% said they never gave colleague gifts to begin with, but that means that the other half were doing it, and now that's shifted slightly because 21% are saying they're not going to give because they don't see them enough, and the other part will say that ah, makes no difference. You talked about that work culture and people trying to bring people back. What about those who say the best part about work is that I don't have to come back? How is that being navigated in this new age? Well, number one thing is that only 8% of of companies that we do business with are fully remote when you're looking for a position. So keep that in mind. Employers are pushing, and you're going to see more and more in 2024 with economic times being a little harder the culture has been affected, so it affects your growth in companies uh, because the engagement level drops. They're asking for people to come back in, and that's a little bit of a challenge right now. So if people say, you know, well, I just want to stay at home and I don't want to go back, well, please be aware that there's not going to be as many opportunities uh, you're going to see, and we're seeing it now. There's not many opportunities that are fully remote. Well, and another issue with uh, so many people working from home that I've heard is when they actually do, like I know people who work predominantly at home, and when they do go into the office, their production tanks because everybody just wants to chit-chat because they haven't seen each other in a while. Yes, and they they forget almost like the office etiquette, as I call it, right? They, you know, how to dress, you know, loud they think they're in their kitchen or how do we, you know, handle each other in an open environment? Because most companies have open environments today. So there is a lot of office etiquette that's changed in the last few years. And, and we're seeing it. And also keep in mind the well-being portion. It also brings anxiety to some employees to come back into the office. Sandra, thank you for the time. We appreciate this. Thank you very much. Happy holidays. Sandra Lavoy joining us live on 680 CJOB with Robert Half. So feel free to weigh in at 204 780 6868. The gift giving at work. Isn't it like all things in relationships, the things that you love about them are also the things that are also hard? You know, like coming back to work. I love the crap collaboration and creativity. And then there's the days where like I fake put on my headphones <laughs> because I'm. <laughs> I'm pretending to listen to some very important news clips so that I don't have to be part of some of the conversations. You well, know? how often do we say the thing that attracted us the most to that individual sure. or maybe even that job, vocation or that activity is the thing that ultimately we end up hating the most? It is Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. Tackling back from checking out what was going on over on the Disraeli. And we are asking you a couple of things this morning, including we just had a chat about giving gifts to coworkers. And Loren, what does Linda have to say? Linda says her gift will be maybe a hug and some good wishes. Gifts are overdone, stressful, expensive. And then, yes, you don't know where to draw the line without feelings hurt. That's fair. And there have been times as well. Like I remember there was a, there were a couple of years where I started buying gifts for uh, like a some of my best friends start buying gifts for their kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I had to pull the, I had to pull the, the cord on that after a couple of years. Cause it was just getting to be 
Like I needed to save a couple hundred bucks. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, that's there, there, that's it. That's where I got to make the cut. I also really feel this is just my opinion. Like people send gifts all over the world. It's the nature of how we have to do things. You, you ship something, or you're getting it to a grandparent, or grandparents are getting it to the kids. But it's nicer when they're just seeing each other in person and exchanging something, or like that experience, like taking them somewhere to do something. Because when there's so many gifts under the tree. It just feels like it gets it all gets lost, and so that idea of you giving something special doesn't necessarily become as special as you want it to be as a result. Yeah, the experiences I think are make great gifts if or, you can or pull it give off. it, save it. Don't ship a gift, but next time you're here, if you do want to give something, hand it over and then play with them with that gift. You know. Also, this morning we're asking you about performers who surprised you with either their comedic or dramatic or perhaps musical chops. And Greg, you were over on the Disraeli at six forty-five, so we didn't get to you. I'm a huge fan of Brad Pitt. He is a tremendous actor. He His dramatic chops are tremendous. But also, he's pretty funny when he needs and wants to be in the Oceans films. He's terrific. But I think one of the most eye-opening comedic performances of his career is when he performed when his, with his then-wife on Friends. Apparently, you were um, a little mean to him in high school. A little mean. You made my life miserable. I'm, I'm, I had no idea. I'm sorry. I... Well, you should be. Screw it. Bring on the yams. Well, but you've, you've worked so hard. I mean, yams! Okay. Uh, Will, I'm, I just want to say that I'm real sorry for whatever I, I did to you in high school. Oh, it wasn't just me. We had a club. You had a club? That's right. The I Hate Rachel Green Club. Oh, my God. So what, you all just joined together to hate me? Who else was in this club? Me and Ross. <laughs> Two-person club. He pulled that off fantastically. He, I thought he's funny. Uh, Matt Damon oh. is funny, like unexpectedly, and yeah, there's lots of those. The whole Ocean Eleven's crew you can name is funny slash serious. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We've got our Wednesday Jets report with Paul Edmonds coming up at 7.55. We also have tickets to give away for the Zoo Lights Festival coming up just before the end of the hour. And then we've got the keys to the game with Cam Poitras coming up after 8 o'clock. And our weekly Wednesday Jets chat with Ken Weeb is going to join us. Uh, or is it Leah Axtall today? Ken Weeb today. It's Ken Weeb. Okay, that's coming up at 8.35. But right now, we want to talk about a new report which shows there is growing awareness amongst Canadians when it comes to understanding the harms of residential schools, but more work still needs to be done. So that's the, the basic headline from the Canadian Reconciliation Barometer, which is a project that works to try and measure how far we're coming with reconciliation. And they gather information through researchers at three different universities, one in Victoria, Toronto, and here at the University of Manitoba. And Aaliyah Fontaine is a data analyst and one of the co-authors of the report. Good morning, Aaliyah. Good morning. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. Before we get into the results, can you explain to us a bit about the reconciliation barometer? How has it worked? Like, how are these things measured? Of course. So, you know, as you kind of mentioned, uh, our barometer, it's a survey <clears throat> that was developed by uh, a team of Indigenous and non-Indigenous researchers uh, from a couple of different institutions across Canada in collaboration with uh, with others, like the National Centre for Truth and Reconciliation and, and Probe Research. Um, and our goals have really been to understand what reconciliation means to Indigenous and non-Indigenous people in Canada, um, kind of on this ongoing and evolving uh, basis. 
Um, and from this understanding, <clears throat> we aim to develop a, uh, a measure, so in the form of a survey, uh, that could be used as just one tool to, to track progress toward reconciliation in, in Canada. So what are you seeing, Aaliyah? This is the second report from your group. What, what have you found? And now you have some data to compare to, to each other. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So really what we, what we are looking at when we are um, thinking about progress is, is, for one, we're looking at, you know, whether or not there's been any sort of change from, from previous years and, and just generally how do we think that we're doing? Like, where do we think we are right now? And the other way that we think about progress is do Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples um, view things in the same way? Are we on the same page with things? Are we, are we um, in agreement about the state of, of reconciliation? So, you know, as you as you kind of mentioned uh, earlier, um, we have uh, seen some uh, some modest progress um, in a couple of different areas. So, for example, uh, we found that compared to uh, compared to the last time we did the the survey, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples are becoming more aware of residential schools. Um, they're more confident in their understanding of history and are acknowledging just how harmful the schools were. So the first time we conducted the survey back in 2021, we found that um, about 65% of non-Indigenous peoples and 87% of Indigenous peoples had heard or read anything about residential schools. So this last time that we did the survey, we found that that awareness has increased. So now 90% of non-Indigenous peoples and 94% of Indigenous peoples uh, have heard or read anything about residential schools. So we are certainly seeing that uh, that awareness uh, increase. But we understand that this report also points to uh, what you call a troubling rise in residential school denialism. So what's going on there? Yeah, so um, I would say that, uh, you know, you can certainly see, um, unfortunately, that as, uh, as this awareness also seems to rise, as people talk more about residential schools history, um, and just the, uh, the deeply harmful impact that it's had on Indigenous families and, and communities um, and nations, uh, you know, we do see pushback push back against that. Um, uh, it's, it can be very uncomfortable, I think, for, for people to um, really accept that the, uh, the country that they are a part of has caused a lot of harm to, to people. Um, and sometimes I think instead of, um, you know, acknowledging that harm, uh, it's, it's easier to kind of turn, a, turn around and say, no, like this, this didn't happen or uh, the, the harm was overstated and, and so on. When we talk about this and you look at the idea of, of the awareness being important, there's all sorts of ways we can each individually help with that when it comes to educating ourselves or what we read or, or the media we watch. But I'm wondering what you're seeing or what you're hearing or what the hope might be in workspaces, you know, to create better programs that might help people understand. I know uh, City Hall and others, like they'll do things to try to get people who come into workspaces to have courses or programs to just understand everything from residential schools to even something simple like land acknowledgements. Of course, yeah. I mean, there are a whole range of things that people can do to uh, to kind of build up that awareness and understanding 
uh, can be through more uh, kind of formal ch- uh, channels like, you know, different sorts of courses or, or programs or speakers that come to to workplaces as well. But there's a lot of other ways that you can you can learn too. Um, and it's not just about learning about the um, history. It's also about learning about, uh, you know, just the diverse cultures uh, as well. Um, so, you know, come on out to uh, come on up to like a powwow or something like that. You know, um, really, I think that uh, it doesn't just have to be through all of these formal, um, formal educational channels. You know, there's lots of books. There's lots of um, <clears throat> documentaries out there. Uh, there's lots of, you know, really, really interesting uh, people you can follow on social media. Uh, so there's a whole range of ways that people can can engage more. Is that sort of the next phase of this as, you know, as we acknowledge and and, uh, understand our history, is that the next phase now is for, is for, um, you know, non-Indigenous and Indigenous culture, writings, as you mentioned, uh, books, uh, movies, etc., sort of just uh, Indigenous produced uh, art and entertainment just to be part of eventually just overall Canadian culture, for lack of a, a better terminology? Well, I would say that, uh, you know, reconciliation means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, I really only kind of talked about, about one of our uh, one of our indicators or, or um, uh, kind of themes that we uh, that we think about. Um, but there's a lot, a lot of other ones. Um, but I would definitely say that uh, kind of education and awareness of the past and acknowledgement of, uh, of kind of the harm of the real harm that uh, uh, residential schools and um, uh, various governments have caused over the years is, is a really important first step. But there's a lot of other areas that uh, that also need work, um, work as well. You mentioned that you touched on one indicator. Are there others you'd like to expand upon before we let you go? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, you know, we, we identified about 13 different indicators. Um, and I wanted to first preface this by saying, you know, of course, no one measure can fully capture what reconciliation means. But we think that we uh, have hit on some of the big ones. So, of course, it requires that good understanding of the past um, and present, acknowledging harm. You know, it also involves making meaningful apologies and engaging with Indigenous communities. Um, it involves respectful relationships at both the individual as well as the nation level. Um, another thing that is quite important is that Indigenous peoples and families and cultures and languages are thriving. Um, and, in, and reconciliation also means uh, respect for the natural world around us. Aaliyah Fontaine is a data analyst and one of the co-authors of the report. You can read, you can check out the full report of the Canadian Reconciliation Barometer Project at reconciliationbarometer.ca. But Aaliyah, thank you very much for joining us this morning. We appreciate the time. Thank you. Have a good morning. Once again, that website, reconciliationbarometer.ca. 7.45. Just think of the things that we've done and that we're doing even in the last few years. You know, when you hear the things at the Jets games, um, your, I don't know about your kids' schools, but every concert and event now involves that that simple land acknowledgement. And I say simple in the sense that it doesn't take much time, but it's it's, it's building that uh, relationship and an awareness. Totally agree. Well, I want to know what the next thing is now. Now, now yeah. that that people seem to be engaged, seem to be understanding where we're coming from. How do we how do we take it from? Okay, yeah, I know that. How do we start building Act. some bridges?
It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We have tickets to give away for Zoo Lights Festival. We'll do that in just over five minutes' time. We also have the Wednesday Paul Edmonds Winnipeg Jets report. We'll do that at 7.54. And a reminder that we also have tickets to give away for Sebastian Maniscalco. We're asking you about performers like Andre Brower. We learned yesterday Andre Brower, the actor, has died at age 61. Dramatic actor who also turned out to be hilarious in Brooklyn Nine Nine. So we're asking about performers who surprised you with their, you know, if they're you knew them for being dramatic. Maybe they did something funny and they were great, or vice versa. Or maybe somebody had musical talent that you were unaware mm. of. And uh, we got a, a lot good of one the musical talent. Yes, yeah, yeah like uh, Sarah mentioned Meryl Streep, and like, oh yeah, Mamma Mia. Well, There's someone nothing mentioned she can't do. Meryl Streep, Pierce Brosnan in Mamma Mia. Yes. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Someone mentioned George Costanza on our listener. Oh yeah. Text line about singing that he did some. Singing somewhere. I don't know if it was for a show or just like a stand-up yeah, bit. Or... He's been on Broadway. Huh. I had no idea. For sure. Yeah, yeah. I, that, I didn't see that, but John G. pointing specifically to hearing him sing on The Tonight Show. There you go. Yeah. Um, Larry David was seen in Curb Your Enthusiasm, and, you know, supposedly in The Producers and Fatwa. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. right. When he did that. Triple, triple, triple threat. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and, 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 but this one, we've had a few people weigh in with this particular uh, suggestion. It's obvious, but it's worse being said several times. Bob said actors that went from funny to serious or vice versa, Robin Williams and his ability to go from Happy Days and Mork and Mindy to his amazing Oscar-winning performance of in Goodwill Hunting, three other Academy Award-nominated performances, never would have seen that dramatic potential in the late 1970s. Yeah, says Bob's. That's, that's fair. That's to a say. good one. Yeah. Tom Hanks probably you could put in the sick because he started. He got to start in like sitcoms, didn't he? Bosom Buddies. That's right. Bosom Once Buddies. Upon a time. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, I think it was really probably big was the first. First time where we saw that there was there was more to this performer than just uh, you know just comedy. Not to say that just comedy is bad. Like I don't know if you remember, but there was a skit at the Oscars one year where Will Ferrell and Jack Black came out and sang a song where they were lamenting that comedy never gets nominations. I do at remember that. the the Oscars, and then John C. Riley came out and said, "You got to do both." Because he's he's excellent at both comedy and drama. Mm. That's a great point because I'm not saying one is harder than the other, but it you would argue that the ability to make someone's laugh is is equally as hard as making someone cry. And it might be easier to make someone cry depending on the scene you're playing or what have you, right? Like the emotions it would evoke. Yeah, for sure. And there's a fine line between either, right? Depending on wh- what headspace you're in. One of our listeners, Hugh Jackman. Surprised the heck out of me with his singing in The Greatest Showman. I don't normally like musicals, but I could watch this one over and over again. Steve says, please don't tell my wife. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll keep keep those coming for a chance to win those tickets for Sebastian Maniscalco. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. In the meantime, Greg and Forte, we must switch gears and head to the ice. Yeah, he may play in the smallest market in the National Hockey League, but Winnipeg Jets defenseman Josh Morrissey is the equal to any in the game at his position. And while he's respected, he's not always brought up in the same conversation as some other notable rear guards in the league. Something Paul Edmonds explains in today's Jets report. Prior to last Thursday's game in Colorado, Winnipeg Jets all-star defenseman Josh Morrissey was asked a series of questions about facing former Norris Trophy winner Kale McCarr. With respect, the tone of the query almost inferred that Morrissey would take an acquiescent seat to his counterpart from Denver and somehow might be honoured to be skating on the same ice. 
Morrissey, to his credit, tried to answer the line of questioning with as much professionalism as possible. But you could tell the usually approachable and accommodating personality that he is was annoyed. And rightfully so, especially since Winnipeg's top D-man should take a back seat to no one on any night and prove that in the Jets' win over the Avalanche that night with two points, including the game-winning goal and ironically earning first-star honors in the arena. McCarr calls home. Since that night, Morrissey has recorded four points, posted a 30-minute night in Anaheim, tried to be the difference maker in last night's loss in San Jose, and frankly, has played with a chip on his shoulder. Through 27 games, the Calgary product is on pace for yet another career year in goals and points after posting personal bests in both categories last season while playing against every team's best line and being the target of the opposition's forechecking game plan. Drafted 13th overall in 2013, Morrissey has become lucky number 13 to the Jets, a first-round selection that has developed into the player Winnipeg projected he would, and maybe even more. His impact to the team the last two seasons has been unparalleled, and his value, immeasurable. He's elite, and should yield to no one on the blue line in the National Hockey League when it comes to comparisons. Simply put, without Morrissey, the Jets would not be the same team, and the inference that he's in any way not the equal of Kale McCarr is demeaning and inaccurate. And based on the last two seasons he's fashioned together, that statement comes... Without question. Thank you very much, Paul Edmonds. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb. We're talking Jets in a moment. But before that, a reminder that we have tickets to give away for Sebastian Menascalco. He is a comedian coming to Winnipeg, Canada Life Centre in October. And we're asking you, uh, in the wake of the death of actor Andre Brower, who was really surprising as a comedic talent in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, we're asking you about performers who surprised you with uh, their hidden talents and Chris, with an interesting one here, he says, I don't like LeBron James as a basketball player, but he was really good in the movie Trainwreck, which starred Amy Schumer. And he's right. I forgot. I've only seen that movie once, but he, LeBron was terrific in that. And that actually helped John Cena's acting career as well, The Wrestler, uh, because I think that was one of his first, probably his first comedic role. I mean, he was great at comedy as the the doctor of thugonomics sure. in the ring in the WWE. <laughs> sure. I like him a lot funny. as an actor. Yeah. That, uh, LeBron, I'd love to know if he's done interviews since. Was that him trying to be funny? Or you know how usually when athletes do anything actor-related, like I'm talking Wayne Gretzky on... Young and the Restless. Or Days of Our Lives. Whatever. No, Young and the Restless. Horrific. Really? Yeah, he met Nikki. Yeah, he. My friends call me Wayne. And he's got this great feathered hair. Terrific, like, 80s feathered hair, but he's a terrible actor. And so. So bad on SNL. But LeBron was legitimately, like, he had that deadpan thing going on, and it was funny character in that movie. Okay, so that's a good one. So keep those coming for a chance to win those tickets. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. And we have tickets to give away for Manitoba Turkey. $25 Manitoba Turkey voucher and five turkey cookbooks. We'll do that at the end of this hour. You are forgiven if you're one of the many on Jets Nation who would have looked at the standings heading into last night's game and thought, this is a game the Jets should or would win. San Jose Sharks are destined to miss this year's Stanley Cup playoffs as they try to rebuild their team. Yeah, the league standings show Winnipeg in 10th place overall. And following last night's win, the Sharks overtook Anaheim Ducks for 30th spot in the overall standings. Well, final score last night, Sharks 2, 
Jets won. Ken Weeb is here, there, and everywhere. The Kenny and Rennie Show with Sean Reynolds, writer at the Free Press, and of course, right here on the radio home of your Winnipeg Jets. What time did you get to bed this morning, Ken? Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, uh, three-ish, I guess. The, the podcast ended just before two, I think. So, yeah, a little, little bit of a late night, but uh, hey, yeah, that's part of the gig, and Doctor of Thugonomics, Brad. I learned something new about you uh, today. Uh, very, very impressive. Very impressive. Yeah, he would uh, come out and you know he'd do his thing. You can't see me, and he had his his finishing move was the fu. Yeah, he was great. He'd come out and rap and 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 uh, lots of fun. He was terrific. I'm more of a Randy Savage guy myself, but you know, Cena was very good in his time also. Oh, yeah. Macho man, Macho Man is a is a Hall of Famer. He's an all timer. The late Macho Man, the late Randy Savage. Good, but good pull, Ken. Good pull. If you and Sean need a wrestling guy, uh, Brett is 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 that guy. So um, I guess we'll talk a little hockey. Uh, I guess we'll be discussing Jet special units until it appears. As though they aren't playing a role in the few and far between losses for this team, Ken. 16.7% power play, 23rd in the league, 75.3 penalty kill, 26th overall. I know that there have been games where those uh, specialty teams have been better. Both played a role in last night's loss to the Shark in San Jose. Yay or nay? Oh, absolutely, yes. And we didn't, you know, Rick Bonus was very clear in his assessment after the game in San Jose. And yeah, I mean, if you watch the game, you know that it was definitely a factor. Penalty kill has been a lot better lately, sort of inching its way up the up the ladder after a poor start. Uh, but the power play over five—it's very simple. One team scored on the power play, the other team was over five. So uh, definitely a di- differentiator in the game itself. Quite frankly, even without Kyle Connor, I thought that their puck movement was quite good in the first—I would say for sure—three power plays, uh, and even the second unit had a extended stretch of zone time on one of those because they started because the penalty was drawn by Gabriel Velarde. Uh, but ultimately you need to cash in. And, you know, I, I think they were able to get some momentum going from it, but I didn't think the last two power plays were uh, crisp enough and a little bit too stagnant on the perimeter. And uh, that's, that's been something that when things aren't going well for the power play, that has sort of been a common denominator. And that's something that uh, we'll need to change here always trying to find some positives. So it's now 17 straight games, Ken, where the Jets have held the opposition to three or fewer goals. I, that, I mean, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. It certainly is, Loren. Yeah, I mean, that's been their hallmark, their 5-on-5 five five play, and especially their defensive structure. And I would say, too, that they're not, not that I was blaming goaltending for the, for the early, you know, hiccups, but yeah, their goaltending has been excellent. Loren Bersois with a really great effort again is, you know, second consecutive solid start with 30 saves and they're you know, defensively the Jets really didn't give up a whole lot especially at five on five in that hockey game other than the you know, bit of a foray early on when the shots were 12 to one and as Brendan Dillon pointed out it, the Jets felt that the Sharks had six men on the ice or six skaters rather than just six uh, six players so uh, yeah I mean I would say that's definitely something that especially with Kyle Connor being on the shelf uh, for an extended period of time now They'll need to lean and rely on that defensive structure and, and win games 2-1 or 3-2 uh, rather than, you know, they had a stretch where they were putting up four or five a night with pretty much regularity. But, yeah, I mean, that's something that has been their foundation, and they'll need that to continue that to be uh, if they want to continue uh, to be in their lofty place in the Western Conference standings. 
Can the Jets had also been limiting, they'd been limiting the opposition to lower shot volumes earlier in the season, but in seven of their past 14 games, the opposition has 30 or more shots, including four of their last six games. So is that cause for concern? Yeah, I mean, you'd certainly take note of it, Brett. I wouldn't say cause for concern because I don't really feel like the Jets have really been giving up a ton of uh, high danger chances in those games or grade A quality chances in a lot of them. Like even the game against Carolina, for example, they gave up north of 40, but the shot quality I don't think was as as high as the shot volume in that stretch. So, I mean, it's certainly something you would be paying attention to if you remember the coaching staff, but I don't see the Jets being leaky defensively in this last stretch of games. But as mentioned, I mean, they're going to have to tighten tighten things up. Being without a guy who's on pace for 40 or 50 goals here, uh, you're going to have to be good defensively because they don't really have anyone in the lineup that can you know singularly make up for that lost offense. It'll have to be a collective effort. But uh, defensively, I, I don't really have a lot of concerns, and I don't think Jets fans need to really either. All right, so uh, this leads us all, the Venn diagram leads us all to this uh, Kyle Connor situation. We don't have any confirmation. We don't know the severity of his injury. There's been lots of speculation. Uh, but we can guess that Kyle Connor is not going to be in this lineup for the next little while at least. How does how do the Jets overcome that? And what does life look like without Kyle Connor for this team? As you mentioned, at, you know, his speed... I don't know if he's ever looked faster, Ken. Uh, there, there was that just that incredible chemistry, just maybe on another level with he and he and Shifley to start the season, and and, and Nikolai Ehlers joined that top line. It seemed as though they were just getting going. Uh, I don't want to lament all the things that that are going to uh, be missing from the from the Jets lineup right now. But what does it look like with without eighty one in in the game? Well, they're missing their most you know, natural finisher. They're your purest sniper, um, leading scorer, leading goal scorer among the league leaders. I mean, those are guys that are tough to replace. There's no doubt. Uh, but I mean, the Jets have had history without guys for extended periods of time. Whether that's you know Josh Morrissey down the stretch, the one year, uh, Dustin Bufflin out for an extended period of time, Mark Scheifele. Even this year, I mean, I understand some fans are saying, well, you know, they didn't really miss Gabriel Velarde because they only had him for the three games. Well, I don't buy that. I mean, this is a guy, if you're counting on someone to score 25 to 30 and you have to play almost a quarter season without him, you miss his services. So Kyle Connor has been incredibly durable. We don't really know what it looks like without him in the lineup, certainly outside of those three games because of COVID. So yeah, I mean, he has natural chemistry with Mark Shifley. So that means, you know, the Cole Perfetti is on his line. Gabriel Velarde will need to step up. Nikolai Ehlers will need to uh, be a dynamic force, and you know ultimately the Jets will will need scoring from all four of their lines. And Greg, we've been talking about their depth all year long, so yep. this is a great example of having their depth put to the test. And you know that will be the hallmark here. And yeah, I mean we're waiting for the Jets to officially make an announcement. But the information that I've been gathering, along with my colleague Mike McIntyre and others around the league who have access to other information outside the organization. Uh, it sounds like they've avoided the worst case scenario, but now we'll wait and see if something showed up on the MRI when the Jets doctors had a look. But yeah, six to eight weeks minimum, and then we'll see what happens. That's a that's a long time, but I would say based on the severity of the hit in real time, Jets the Jets would take that. So it, it's a big test for sure. But I think they're 
equipped to handle a loss like that, even though it is obviously a, you know, a devastating loss for their team, even if it is not season ending. Yeah, well, I guess we'll find out just how uh, observant we've been over these first several weeks of the season <laughs> with regard to the depth of this forward group, uh, Ken, because I'm with you. I feel it's as, as deep as it's ever been. It's going to get put to the test here. Appreciate you, friend. Thanks for this. And uh, I don't think we speak to you until the new year. So uh, Merry Christmas to you and yours. Thanks very much to all three of you. Thanks for having me. Always enjoy the time and uh, happy holidays to everybody out there for sure. Happy holidays to you as well, Ken Weeb. He is with the Kenny and Rennie Show with Sean Reynolds. He is a writer with the Winnipeg Free Press, and of course, he is a big part of our coverage on the radio home of the Winnipeg Jets. 680 CJOB. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. In just a few moments' time, we have turkey to give away. $25 voucher from Manitoba Turkey and five turkey cookbooks. But before that, we are asking you this morning, after learning yesterday that Andre Brower, the actor, has died at the age of 61, we're asking you about performers who surprised you because he was, I think safe to say, predominantly known as a dramatic actor, and then he shows up in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and he's hilarious. Yeah, with the ATVs, the only thing you're selling is a huge pile of bunk. How did you get here so fast? You were walking. I was power walking. Row heel ball toe, row heel ball toe. Gets me every time. Love him. I, I, was in so much, I was in pain actually earlier this morning listening to this clip. I couldn't stop laughing. My stomach hurt. So we're asking you to tell us about a performer who surprised you with their comedic or their dra- dramatic or their musical chops. And uh, uh, we had one from listener who see with this, and this actually opens a whole can of worms. Um, Ronald Reagan, actor, becomes president. Okay, just the different turns that people can take. Yes, Schwarzenegger, the governor, Jesse, the body, of course, the governor of Minnesota. Come on, yeah, that uh, that's a whole other. Famous, famous politicians that were something else. Uh, Gopher on the Love Boat. He was a, I think, a Congress, Congress person really? for years. Oh yeah. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Oh. J.C. Watts, the former Ottawa Rough Rider quarterback. Or the people who shouldn't, like Wayne Gretzky on Young and the Restless. And this is uh, Wayne out of our Edmonton operation. <laughs> <laughs> sure could use some of your class around home, Nikki. <laughs> it's Thank so you. bad. Um, are you just visiting, Mister? Call me Wayne. Everybody does. Oh, you have to go back and watch it. The whole scene is cringeworthy. And it makes you think he's, uh, you know how in SNL when they do skits and they have the cards in the corner, you can read the lines off of? Because, of course, things are turned around so quickly and there's no time to memorizing. I feel like he's reading all six of his lines. Oh, <laughs> if you if you watch him on SNL when he was on oh, Wayne's World. Oh, that's even World, worse. It, I remember that. Yeah, that was actually that was, worse. Yeah, because he'd been around a lot longer, right? And so you would have thought, oh, let's see, maybe he's a little better than he was on Y&R. No, just as bad. Love you, Wayne. Not really. <laughs> I love him, but I know not you do. that. I did love that hair, though. Do yourself a favor and get that feathered hair back. Did you ever have his cereal, Pro Stars? I've had his cereal. Not good. Had his wine. Even worse. <laughs> you know what is good? His, uh, his rye. Drink. His oh, rye the, is good. The, his whiskey is the good. The liqueur oh, yeah. one is amazing. Yeah. 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 I know a couple of buddies who really like that Wayne Gretzky uh Right. Also, um, oh, where was he? Oh, the, oh, Steve with one saying, well, what about you want to talk about triple threats? Uh, Jared Leto, he's <gasps> an actor with immeasurable range. So good. And the lead singer for the band, 30 Seconds to Mars. Right. Oh. We're actually really good. Yes. It's not like it's not one of those things where 
Like I heard, <laughs> like Bruce Joe Willis. Pesci is a singer. Did mm-hmm. you know that? Mm-hmm. No. He's released albums. Mm-hmm. Serious? And I heard Jay and Vicky actually were playing it the other day. They were playing. Um, He's not bad. But he he does a Christmas song, but he does it in character uh. as his character from My Cousin Vinny. So he's oh. cursed. So he's swearing throughout the, the the whole thing, and he's calling Santa Claus names. But I didn't know that he no. was a, a lounge singer. No. So there Do you we go. have time for Jonathan's text? And let's do it at nine fifteen because it. Jonathan's a contender. A, oh, I shouldn't have even Could've said been a it contender. then. I'm sorry. <laughs> he's a There's contender. lots of Jonathans in the audience. Don't ex- get excited, John. One, two, or seven. Mackling McGarry McNabb, congratulations to Eva Bell, who picks up a $25 voucher and five turkey cookbooks from Manitoba, Turkey. And we also have tickets to give away for Sebastian Maniscalco, comedian who is coming to Canada Life Centre in October. And we're asking you, after the death of Andre Brower, who is a gifted dramatic performer and then later surprised as a comedic performer in the show Brooklyn Nine-Nine, we're asking you about actors, performers who surprised you with by going a different direction. You know, you know them for drama. Turns out they're really funny. Or they're really funny. Turns out they're very good in drama. Or maybe you didn't know they had musical talents or dancing talents. And Greg Gordo with a reminder. <laughs> just This is one of the weirdest phenomenons I think I've ever heard of. Uh, David Hasselhoff, incredibly bad actor and singer, but wildly popular in Germany. Take a listen to this. Picture him in slow-mo, too, like running down the beach. He's actually driving a convertible through uh, one of the canyons near Malibu Canyon, I think. (laughs) It's uh, copious amounts of chest hair flowing in this shot. Yeah, Yeah. he's got three buttons undone. Excellent. Hair looks great. No chains. No chains. Great watch. Great car. Okay. Is he eating any cheeseburgers on the floor? Nope. He's holding his own hand here, though. Anyway, enough of this. Did did Neil Diamond give him permission to do this? I probably got a cease and desist letter after this crap. Okay. Somewhere the Boston Red Sox are wondering why they aren't using this version (laughs) halfway through every game. Well played, McNabb. Well played. So, Gordo, thank you for that. We'll pick our winner in our next segment. But uh, right now, Loren, we we want to talk about ERs. Well, look, I think there's a lot of us. You've felt some cold and fluish type things in the last little while. I have. uh, Tons of colleagues and coworkers have been in and out and, and working from home just because of the sniffles. And of course, we know there's lots going around on different RSVs and versions of COVID and whatnot, and that's keeping our ERs extremely busy. If I look at the wait times right now at St. Boniface, 11 and a half hours, Health Science Institute, eight for children and nine for the adults. And so we've heard from some people who have had a letter come home. Let us know if you received this from your school division. A couple of school divisions have sent out notes that have come through kidcaremanitoba.ca and it's basically a letter, a message from Dr. Karen Grip, who's who's been able to join us on our show and the afternoon shows several times to talk about the situation in ERs. But it goes on to say that we know that the ERs are seeing a significant increase. And it says, while many of our patients are very sick, we're also seeing many kids who could be treated in a more appropriate setting or safely managed at home. At least a third of the patients seen each day over the past week could have been safely cared for by their family doctor, a nurse practitioner, 
or at home with rest and fluids. And I hear that. I think every time one of my kids has been sick, I think a lot of parents will say, I do not want to go sit in an ER. You do try to find other ways. I think you do try to manage it at home or get them to a, a clinic. But many people don't have a family doctor. Often when you hit the fear hits of, oh my gosh, am I doing wrong by my kid by not getting them care? It's the middle of the night or early morning. So those walk-ins wouldn't be open anyway. And then you might actually call Health Links, which is one of the steps it advises you to do. Mm-hmm. And Health Links, more often than not, in most people's experience, will say, yeah, you should go see a doctor. And these are the only ones available. And so you you do feel like I hear what she's saying in that. We know too many people go to ERs that don't belong there. But I don't know if it's because they don't know where to go, but they don't know the option. Like, what is the option at that time of day? Even if you know where to go, is it an option for you? Like you say, based on the clock, based on availability, based on geography, there are a whole host of reasons as to why you might decide that the ER is genuinely the most most critical option or the most available option, pardon me. And so, you know, you mentioned health links and I, I think it's a tremendous resource. I'm not, I'm not going to say anything negative about health links, except you echoed my experience. Typically they, you know, yeah, it sounds like you need to go and see someone as soon as possible. And typically that means going to the ER, but if they tell you otherwise and give you advice, oh, well, maybe you could do this and, and see your family doctor. If they can do that over the phone and it's my understanding that they, they do the, do that. Why, once again, I'm going to ask the question, why isn't the triage process, why isn't that more part of the process to say, you know, Ms. McNabb, we understand that uh, y- y- your child is, is, is not feeling well, but this is not the place for him or her. This would be our suggestion. And I think I would take it one step further and have a database there, right there. Have somebody that can look at all the different clinics, have all that information integrated and say, here's a place where you can see a doctor in four hours, in five hours, based on geography, availability, your willingness to go here, there, or wherever. And I just, that lack of integration just really, it it irks me. It's irked me for some time. And now that my kids are 17 and I've been to that ER more times than I care to admit, I I just really wish that resource existed. Um, If that resource, I know they're adding some walk-ins to certain, that's being part of the talk. Should we have extra walk-ins or should we have walk-in clinics attached to hospitals? Great. Uh, The letter goes on to say that this is, again, a letter that went home in some school divisions. It's not the school division writing it. It's a memo passed on from the health authority. It says patient volumes are going to rise. This is going to further stretch our ability to take care of sick kids. So it's imperative the parents understand their options. And so that is an important part about it, about preemptively knowing before your kid gets sick, where else could I take them if I don't want to go to the ER? So I just wanted to point that out because you might call health links. You can go to wrha.ca and and Google walk-in clinics. They got a whole list of walk-in clinics that tell you the wait time, where they're at, and their hours. Now, some close at noon. That's not helpful in the middle of your night. Some of them are open until 8. That's really great. So I wonder how often we have these preemptive plans or these prevent, you know, it's not prevention. It's just like, okay, now my kid's sick. What can I do? And that's particularly important because rurally, which I live outside the city, I have to call sometimes. Kid gets hurt. Sorry, is your hospital even open? Do you even have a doctor 
there today. I called Morris the other day just to see if their ER was open. They said, well, we don't have a doctor right now. Haven't had one since August. I didn't know. So you, it rarely becomes harder. But I wonder how many people have a list of, okay, if this happens, here's where I could go Your at a, this B, time. Or C. Right. We have tickets for Sebastian Maniscalco coming to Canada Life Centre in October and inspired by the death of Andre Brower. Sad news. Learned that the actor has died at the age of 61. He was a great dramatic actor. And then when he popped up in Brooklyn Nine-Nine a few years ago, he surprised us all with his comedic talent. So we're asking you about a performer who surprised you if you knew them for one thing and then they went and did something else. And what does Gail, one of our runners up here, suggest, Greg? I'm not the... I'm not the biggest Bradley Cooper fan, but he does have some serious chops on him. Thought he did a great job in A Star is Born with Lady Gaga. And another actor, Ryan Gosling, uh, has shown he can do serious comedic and musical. Now there is a triple threat. And Bradley Cooper, of course, also a great voice actor as Rocket Raccoon in the MCU. Right. Yeah, so he's a terrific talent. Uh, listener with a local poll here was quite a surprise when Keanu Reeves appeared at Royal MTC performing Shakespeare. That was back in, what, 1994? Yeah, mm-hmm. almost 30 years ago, we if you can imagine that. Exactly one of those things. You're like, that wasn't so long ago. And then you look mm-hmm. it up, you're like, okay, never yeah. mind. <laughs> Uh, we already mentioned Christopher Walken as well, but Nadine Perrin uh, just weighing in with some uh, additional details here. And like a good reminder, he's an amazing villain when he wants to be. Great dramatic actor, great comedic actor. And just read his filmography for great examples of that. But also he can dance. And she points to Pennies from Heaven for an excellent example. That's a movie from 1981. I believe his mom ran a dance studio, so he was trained from a young age. Oh, neat. Definitely a surprise after first seeing him in The Dead Zone. And we also mentioned it, if you've never seen the video for a song called Weapon of Choice by Fatboy Slim. Uh, it's just Christopher Walken dancing in a hotel. Is it a one-shot? I think it's sort of framed like that partially. They try to pull it off as one, right? Yeah, I don't know if the whole thing is, but there are definitely some long extended shots in that one. And um, I'll just read this quick one from David before we get to our winner, because we've had a bunch of people say Robin Williams, Mm -hmm. but David with a great example. The man went from a childhood favorite who brought laughs and tears to absolutely terrifying in a movie called One Hour Photo. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. I don't know. I've seen that. I haven't either. It's one of those movies where I always wanted to see it because Robin Williams is a bad guy. Yeah, it's very good. I remember going to the theater to see it. Oh, cool. Yeah, terrific. But Loren, Jonathan is our winner today. And this is not just because of my love for this reference, although yes, it is, but it was a great poll. Jonathan says, actor Idris Elba, well known for his dramatic roles, but his stint on the U.S. version of The Office proved he has comedic chops as well. Listening to him in interviews, you can tell he has a great sense of humor, despite playing some of the darkest characters in TV history. And he was Charles, the minor on the office, he got brought in to sort of like revamp things. Michael Scott hated him. He didn't like Jim. It was a very odd role. And he talked about that deadpan humor. All the women in the office loved him. I am aware of the effect I have on women. <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy. They all were like cl- like up and they at were him. They swooning. Like, yes. Come on now. He was like he had walked into like a... Like a personal care home, and he was the only man there. And he's a big, handsome man. Now, for the serious stuff that he's done, what is the one of his most famous ones? Uh, well, he was in a he was in a series called Luther, okay. which is excellent, and it is very dark. 
And uh, any anything he pops up and he's fantastic. He elevates whatever pops and good good job playing that uh, getting that music queued up. Ooh, wasn't he with Beyonce in that one? Oh, he may have been. We'll have to look that up. But we've got that. so congratulations to Jonathan Sebastian Maniscalco tickets. Congratulations to you, sir. Have you ever been a victim of a porch pirate? 89% say no, but 11% say yes. So that feel that's high. a lot. I, yeah, I think so. Some people have gone to the extent of they put kind of lock boxes on their front step, right? A little yes. thing where you open up or you can slide it through kind of like its own little mailbox. There are people who get regular and consistent deliveries because they have a side business or they're into ordering a lot of their even groceries and stuff come to them online. I, I've, I, when I come home and it's on the step, I'm always so pleased that it's there just because, oh, it got delivered. But then, oh, wow. Thank gosh no one took it. That said, I am the judging neighbor. You know, like if I had my basset hound, I'd be sitting on my front <laughs> judging, my judging point porch. and I'd be on my swing. And I'm amazed since <laughs> I've... I've been there like 12 years now, and the number of times I observe things from like sort of standing at the window, and you realize later how creepy it is, because if it comes up in conversation, someone's like, oh, yeah, like the other day, I was like, yes, I watched you do that. <laughs> you know, I was out, I was I raking my know. leaves. I know. <laughs> I once caught my neighbor, one of my neighbors. I was just standing there, and you can't see with the reflection, and he comes out and is doing some yard work, and all of a sudden I see him go around the corner. I'm like, I wonder what's going on here. Uh, you know what? I think I know what's going on. I think his shorts are on backwards. And sure enough, comes back, shorts are back the other way. And I felt the need to go out and say, saw all that. Saw it all. Just wore your shorts backwards. <laughs> it, it's incredible to me. I, you know, once I spent a lot of time with my, with my grandfather uh, in his retired years. And if that mailman wasn't dropping off the mail within like the 15 minute window, he'd be cut become accustomed to mm-hmm. he, he was looking at his watch he'd be out looking down the street up one way down the other mm-hmm. it's like grandpa maybe he just didn't get any mail today no no i know when he walks by mm-hmm. and then and then when i was a milkman if you were 10 minutes late there was one building in particular in charleswood i went to on mondays i had to be there at 11 o'clock well, I used to get really quick at my route on Mondays, and I lived on my route, which is dangerous. But I could get done, mostly done everything except for this apartment building by about 8.45, 9 o'clock, which meant I could go home for a nap. Mm. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, good. Yes, bad. I remember the day I was about a half hour late and the lineup of people because these folks... They set their watches mm-hmm. by when you come. And so you, when you talk about paying attention to what's going on in your neighborhood, everybody needs neighbors like that. Mm-hmm. I think that that's well, good. Well, that was my roundabout right? way of saying I'm surprised. Like, I, this is so naive to say, I can't believe people would steal. Someone might see you because obviously people do. But sure. With, the, with neighborhoods, with neighborhood watch, and I don't mean the official organization. Right. I mean, people like me who are standing at their window. Nosy. With doorbell cams <laughs> and all the rest. Yeah. Just, it feels like your odds of getting caught. Are high. Uh, yeah, that's why that 10% number feels really high to me, Brett. It's, yep. it's kind of a little bit surprising. And it, this, the reason why we're asking about porch pirates is 
Uh, Julie spotted this story out of the States yesterday that uh, porch pirates, at least south of us, are having a field day this holiday season. 75% of Americans say they have had a package stolen. Security.com says the best deterrent is obviously to get it inside as soon as it's delivered. Another company, Safewise, says there have been 119 million cases of porch piracy in the U.S. this year. Oh, wow. Holy smokes. That's crazy. Yeah, that is. And it, it, it makes... Sometimes it makes sense because, like, I come home, uh, just my my apartment. Yeah. And there's almost always an Amazon package mm-hmm. outside somebody's door. Mm-hmm. I had one the other day. I thought, I thought that I heard like, because I well they'll often slide notes through our doors, you know, to let us know what's happening in the building. And that's what I thought it was. So I got up, and sure enough, it was a Christmas gift that I had ordered, just sitting there. And had I not heard that. Who knows how long I would have sat Like, there. it just sits right outside the apartment Yeah, they door. just put it right up against my apartment See, door. See, that seems more, that doesn't seem the same. No one's standing at your apartment door. Well, maybe, maybe I would if I was in, I should. Are people standing at their door looking through that little hole the same way I do at my window? <laughs> Only okay. when I only when I hear a ruckus. Sure, and you want to know? Can yeah. you describe the ruckus? Yeah. Sir? <laughs> There's, but, I have some noisy neighbors who sure. are like slamming doors and stuff. So I'll I'll I actually got went out and yelled at one once. I'm like, what is the deal with the door slamming, dude? <laughs> but I, like the odds of getting caught in an apartment building are far lower, I would think. Once you're on that floor, no one's watching you through those doors. Exactly, that's what I mean. So if my neighbor, because I had one neighbor a couple of years ago who was always ordering stuff online, and to the point where, like, if you were to just come home and say, "Ah, I'm just going to take this today See and take it, it in my apartment," they'll never, they'll never know because there's no cameras up there either. So um, that, but I, in this season, with all of the people ordering stuff online, yeah, it's got to happen a lot. I try to avoid ordering stuff online if I can because I try to, I like to buy it locally, but mm-hmm. see, there are there were a couple of things that just, I knew there was no way I would ever find them in the city of Winnipeg, so I had to go online. What's interesting, at least in my, in my brain, is that for myself, I love the deliveries that go straight to my front step that don't go into the locked mailbox because then I don't have to walk down the block to go and get oh. it out of the community mailbox. But at the same time, that's the only time it's really susceptible is when they drop it off on the step. So I would be super bothered if somebody helped themselves to my package and I would see them on my doorbell. But at the same time, you know what? <laughs> that, that's, that's my preference yeah. is that they drop it right I love on, going on to the get, step. That's the only time you ever get mail where oh, my kids it's actually love it. good oh, versus yeah. going to the mailbox and pulling mm. out 16 bills, Those 14 flyers, envelopes. like a political ad. <laughs> and then you see that little key in there that's like, ooh, the package is here. I wonder, what, I wonder what this is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. And the other thing, just to, this is not about porch pirates, but when you're getting gifts also sent to you and you've ordered some from yourself around this time of year, I have to go hide in like a separate room and open them up. Because I'm not sure who they're for. Oh, that's a good. I, wow, yeah, I never. You, know, you got thought four about people that. in the house. Your parents are sending. Grandparents are sending stuff. Other things are coming from aunts and uncles, but it just it might just have my name on it, and so you don't know. Is this for me? Is this for the kid? Is this for you know who? And so yeah, I'm in the closet, like on the floor, ripping open these boxes these days. Well, that actually, I would imagine, add stress even to the point where, like, let's say one of your kids. Like grabs the package from the door, right? Yeah, and, and depending it, on how it's packaged, they it might be able to had, figure out what the gift is. It has happened had their in name our house yesterday. Yes, see, did it? Yep. 
Oh, just from the kids handling the package. It ended up on the front doorstep, and I know Alexander had ordered something, and he, so I know when he's waiting for something because he asked me for the key for the mailbox. Okay. Got to go check the mail. And he comes in, and when Jackie came in, she goes, oh, this was sitting on the, uh, on the, on the mantle, on the fireplace at our front door. And I go, well, where was that? Alexander says, it was on the step, and it says right on there, NFL shop. <laughs> Thanks, NFL. <laughs> but he doesn't necessarily. We know have two what's kids in, there. in the house. Yeah, we have two kids in the house, and uh, that's one place where they're sort of divergent in their interests. They both like the NBA. They both like hockey. But Alexander loves NFL, and uh, Brendan couldn't oh, care that's less. Too bad you go through all this trouble of uh-huh. having the surprise. Yeah, <laughs> just don't so. give it to him. I'm like, you know, like, just be cruel. If I was slimmer, I you'll, could keep it. You'll just keep opening gifts Christmas Day, knowing that that one's there, and just don't give it. That's a good idea. Give it to him like on the 27th. And just, and just wait <laughs> for that moment, you know? Although he had to wait. Yeah, last year, he had to wait till like mid-January for a Winston Rose. We ordered his custom Winston Rose Cincinnati Bengal shirt for him. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, yeah, I got to have a Bengals something for Winston, Dad. So we ordered that. It didn't come until mid-January. But uh, so that was like Christmas all over again when it came. So maybe I'll have to hide this one on him. Hide it. All right. Good call. And I'll just watch him across the street. <laughs> See how this unfolds as your judging porch neighbor. With the basset out. Just why is Loren standing across the street? <laughs> You'll fine. find out. That is an old school Loren reference, by the way. The That's basset an original. Hound. Yeah. yeah, that might have been in like your first couple of months talking with us, talking about the, you know, you imagine yourself on this judging porch and you worked out what the judging porch would entail and it includes a basset hound. This is before we got Moose. So this poor Moose hopefully is not listening, wondering why I'm talking about other dogs and other breeds. But at the time, I had said, if I get anything, I want to be on my porch with a swing, and I want to be with the laziest dog, which, in my opinion, is the Basset Hound. And they have an unbelievable bark. Yes. The, do- the bark Ooh. that that the little howl. dog can create is insane. And they just, they, they look judgy, right? Yes, they Moose like- isn't, he's not judgy. He doesn't he judge anybody. He loves you. He loves you. He, if we get robbed, he'll lick their face. Like, he loves everybody. <laughs> that Basset Hound wouldn't save my life. No, you got to work. But he wouldn't like that robber. Yeah, you got to work to impress and make a connection with a Basset mm-hmm. Hound. Like, there is, like, serious courting going on Yeah, there. that's why I like him. That's what I wanted. I wanted to go. Every time Moose is going crazy, I'm like, think about this, kids. We could have had a Basset Hound that didn't even want to go for walks. That's what we could have been doing. We, we could be sitting no right thanks. now, but nope. You wanted the active dog. Feel free to let us know, by the way, on the porch pirate stuff. If you've ever been a victim of porch piracy or if you've ever seen it, uh, let us know. 204-780-6868. Up next, we're going to check. Oh, you got something? Well, Chris just put in a good reminder. Chris must be in the industry when you're talking de- deliveries, can you remind these idiots the boxes don't just magically appear at the door? There's a human that has to get up your icy death steps. Oh, Shovel yeah. your walk if you're expecting a bed frame. Yeah. <laughs> and another one of our listeners says Canada Post Flex delivery is great to use when possible. This is out in the country. I live near Birds Hill Park, and my parcels are sent to Oak Bank Post Office. That's one way to do it. Oh, good idea. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. 
Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.